0: so far we we 've looked just at the last few weeks about about how the Bible instructs Christians to really handle any issue that uh, that we begin with a foundation that you you can 't trust the answers of the world that those that either come. Uh, without Christ as any part of the answer, or if they come from people who are openly rejecting Christ, you should uh, look at those askance. You You will, however, find the answers from God's Word that Everything the church needs to do is in his word. We don't need sociologists. We don't need psychologists. We don't need anybody to tell us how to solve the issues that the human race is facing. As image bearers of God, we look to God who tells his image bearers how to live in this world and our obligations found in his word. But then we saw if that's the foundation, the ultimate is the first thing from our lips the first thing we must speak uh is the gospel we looked at the example of christ when faced either with uh an unexpected tragedy like a falling tower or unthinkable evil like slaughtering uh other people um what is the first thing he said to people grieving over those things he said repent uh or you too will likewise perish uh, he gave them uh, the need to turn to the Lord. That's the answer. In any situation, the first thing is to proclaim the gospel and then to enact the gospel. Uh, this, this world belongs to God. Uh, and We live in obedience to that. So now, what we're going to do, uh, hopefully today, and, and, and I think this will probably be the last day we spend on this, looking particularly at the issue of, of race and justice. Um, So we take sort of those foundations, we take those first steps, and then we look at, okay, we've got this world, we've got, uh, there can be uh, little doubt that race is an issue that people want to talk about, that uh, everyone is, is throwing out their ideas about how to handle issues of of race and racial equality racial reconciliation we're seeing a lot of things that the the Bible does warn about and how you treat other people and the consequences of when you when you do not treat other people as image bearers of God and what happens in that answers uh, the that uh, that the bible uh, the problems that the Bible says will happen, and then we see the world coming and trying to tell us often how to fix those things and and you 're really from all sides not seeing. A lot of Bible. You don't see a lot of people, you know, let's really dig into this text uh, and see how this Bible text is going to shape our policy or decisions. Or if they do, they end up trying to read the Bible through the lens of our culture rather than reading the Bible through its lens and then letting that shape our culture. Uh, and so you've got this really just this uh, schism on what to do, this question on how do you, how do you, what what should our nation do on issues of race, racial inequality, racial reconciliation, justice? What is our responsibility as uh, people of God in his world? Of course, this is uh, fueled by America's horrible history with race and race relations. That does not Help at all. The unbiblical model of, of slavery where image bearers of God were treated like nothing and the, the consequences of that were dealing with the consequences of those decisions. We have African Americans still dealing with the impact of things like Jim Crow laws and other systemic problems. You got whites dealings with the sins of their fathers in those issues. So, what should the job of the church be in a time like this? Is it just to ignore it? Just hope it goes away? Just pretend it's not a thing? Pretend it's the only thing? What do we do? How do we get to the place that the world is crying for us to get out to and that all of us hopefully want to get to? How do we get to a place of peace and unity amongst all peoples uh, in the world? Or rather, how do we see the gospel answer this problem? If the gospel is the answer, how does the gospel get us there? How does the gospel get us where everyone is recognizing we need to be? So that's what we're going to look at today. Today, we're going to take a look at the tower and the tree, the gospel and racial reconciliation. And to do that, we're going to turn to the book of Ephesians, classic racial text, right? Uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 8, very familiar part. And we're going to go uh, down through verse 22. If you'd like to hear someone else talk about this in probably a more in-depth and interesting way, uh, Vody Bachum talks about this. I want to encourage you to listen to Vody Bakum on these things just right now in general. Uh, but he's got one on racial reconciliation uh, that I would recommend as well if you want to, to look at that uh, in your free Internet time that I'm sure you've all got. All right, so Ephesians chapter 2, we'll begin in verse 8. My Bible was open to 2 Peter just naturally. For by grace you have been saved. Let's stand in the honor of reading God's Word. I almost just jumped right into there. You guys were writing in your notes. It's just a habit that we will continue. Don't want to get out of. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God not a result of works so that no one may boast, for we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what's called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your word. Uh, We're so thankful for it because it is very clear in our world that no one knows what to do about anything. We are so either mindless or foolish um, that the the very results we say we want, we seem to work against. And so, Father, give us the humility to run to your word and to obey it. And we are thankful that it is there for us, that we do not have to wander about blindly, the blind leading the blind. Uh, And both of us end up falling in a ditch, sometimes on both sides of the road. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, as we're looking at this issue of race and racial reconciliation, we're going to say this right off the bat. The Christian does not, in fact, cannot achieve racial reconciliation. That is not our job. Not because racial reconciliation is impossible, but because racial reconciliation has already happened. For the Christian, we do not have to achieve racial reconciliation. It has happened in Christ. Our job is not to achieve it. Our job is to walk in it, to walk in it as the truth. That's the call for the Christian, to walk the way Christ called us to walk. We're not supposed to fix the problem. The problem has been fixed by Christ. Our problem is we're not walking the way he called us to walk that's the issue. And that's what we see. Look at Ephesians. Look at, two, look at chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, this passage that we know, right? We love this passage. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We like that. We love this good section of verses. And we often stop right there at verse 10. God has saved us, he's given us faith, he's given us this great gift, he's crafted us for good works, we're supposed to walk in it, but Paul's message doesn't end with verse 10. Interesting, for our time, verse 11 is built off of verse 10. How does verse 11 start? Therefore, in other words, this is what I, w- so he's just talked about how we're supposed to walk in good works. God prepared before that we should walk in these good works. And the very first thing we're supposed to walk in is verse 11. Therefore, if God has given you good works and if you're supposed to walk in them, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by hand. So Paul takes the work of God in the gospel. And the first thing that he applies it to in Ephesus is the reconciliation between the peoples of the world. The very first thing he mentions in the good works is say, he says, hey, remember Ephesians at one time you were on the outside. At one time you were not a part of the people. The world was once divided. The world was divided, but it wasn't black and white. This is a very americo vision of the world. It's just black and white is the only division that has happened in the world. The world was divided, but it wasn't black and white. The world was divided among Jew and Gentile gentile and remember gentile that wasn't a certain group of people a gentile was everybody who wasn't a jew the jews and everybody else that's how that but what's funny is that's not a category that the jews made up it's a category that god made up uh that god set that division god made a division in humanity but it wasn't based on skin color it was based on those who were and those who were not his people That was the only division between, as as Paul points out here, between the circumcised, those who were the people of God, and the uncircumcised, those who weren't. That's the only division that God recognizes among the people that he created. Either you are his people with his law and his promises or they're not. That's the division God points out. Any other division is a man-made division that goes against the God who created man a certain way. That includes the way you view the world, the way I view the world. We cannot create a division that is contrary to how God has made the world. God says, yes, there is a division among the people. There's a division among you. It's either you're my people or you're not. Either you're in the covenant or you're not. Any other division you throw on top of that is a man-made division and is against my word. You're either inside or you're outside of God's grace. That's the only divide. Everybody in God's grace; those were one people, and then there was everybody else. So, what does the Bible teach us? We're going to we're going to come out swinging and throw the whole bucket of water on this thing the very first thing we are come out saying is that uh, race does not exist even if racism does race does not exist so people have created this notion of race and then directed their hatred toward a division that does not exist in humanity they've created these categories of people and then started to dislike people in those categories that they made what do we mean when we say race does not exist? Well, we mean it based on Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28. That we all come from one people, Adam and Eve. The idea of races, as we're going to talk about, actually is born from a notion that mankind didn't spring from Adam and Eve, but from various different peoples that, you know, sort of sprouted up on the earth through evolution. And uh, the Bible says, no, that's not the case. We all come from one person, Adam and Eve, uh, Genesis 1, 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven, over every living thing that moves on the earth. So every person on this planet is a descendant of one couple, really of two couples uh, by the time you get to Noah uh, as well. Uh, But everyone descended from the same Family tree. All of us can trace our lineage, right? If we're going to trace lineages of where did you come from, we all need to remember, we all trace our lineage back to Adam and Eve, who were made in the image of God. Now, the the ethnic differences that we do see, those can also be traced back to Genesis, but in a different way because we're looking at that and saying, well, if we all come from Adam and Eve, we sure don't all look the same. All right, so where did these different ethnicities and things like that uh, come from? This time it's in Genesis, but it's Genesis chapter 11. And here we get the Tower of Babylon. This is where we're going to run into the issue of, well, if we were all one, how did we become so different? And the answer is not going to be God. The answer is going to be because of us. So Genesis 11, this is how, when I say the tower and the tree, this is the tower that has defined so much of the problem in our world today. Genesis 11, now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they settled there and they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And and they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had made. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people. They all had one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down Uh, and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city Therefore, its name was called uh, Babylon or Babel uh, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. So if you remember what happened in Genesis 1, in Genesis 1, what did God tell the people to do? God told the people in Genesis 1 that they'd been given a task of filling the earth with the glory of the Lord. They were supposed to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth spreading whose name far and wide. God's. Did they do that? No, here in Genesis 11, you got to remember in the story of Genesis, this is part of that big spiral of sin that begins with Adam and Eve and just begins to engulf and engulf everything. Instead of doing that, instead of filling the world with God's glory, they instead want to stay where they are instead of filling the earth and they want to build a monument to whose glory? Their own. That's the state of humanity. Humanity, you're given a job, fill the earth for God's glory. They say, no, we're not going to fill the earth. We don't want to be spread out. We want to stay right here, and we want to build a name for our own glory. And what does God do? God says, okay, you don't want to do it yourselves? I'm going to do it. Uh, And so God confuses their language and then flings them across the globe, right? Which would have been crazy. Uh, Can you imagine having only lived in, I mean, growing up in Shinar, you know? Uh, And then the next thing you know, you're in... What Columbus will call India, uh, but will actually be America. Uh, Or you're in South America, or you find yourself uh, in South Africa. And you're like, look at those fish in the ocean that are this, you know, the size of trucks, and they eat people. Uh, You know, all of this suddenly happens and their languages are confused. And it's from there that man develops into, instead of being one people with one language, they develop their many cultures. There are many languages and our bodies created amazingly by God begin to develop and adapt to the various parts of the earth to which we are flung. The world was first broken into different peoples, not by God's design, but by our sin. It was our sin of disobedience and pride that set in motion In a desire to unite themselves, they set in motion what actually created a disunity in humanity. And there's the important point for our our discussion today. It was humanity's attempt to create unity, not around God but around themselves that ultimately led to disunity. And any attempt today to create unity, not around God, but around ourselves, will have the exact same result that it had at the Tower of Babylon. We cannot undo a problem created by disobedience and pride with just a new version of disobedience and pride where we don't humble ourselves and go to God and say, God, we've got a problem that needs to be fixed where instead we say, we've got brick and we've got mortar. Let's build a tower. We can't do that. Or we refuse to heed how he tells us to live. That's what got us here. It cannot get us out. So when it comes to race, we aren't dealing with different races from different evolutionary lines. We're dealing with a world that has been separated because of our pride. And what's happened ever since then is that each little distinct ethnic group has sought, instead of turning to God, to build more and more towers of Babylon in their own cultures. My culture's the best. No, my culture's the best. No, you should be like me. No, you should be like me. Now, mine's the best. Mine's the best. White power, black power, native power, pride, whatever it is, right? And each one is trying to build its own tower. And you build towers on top of the lives of others. And so in the history of the world, ethnic superiority spread. And racism spread. And slavery spread with it. Slavery, racism, hatred is a result of sin's power. I mean, what's what's funny is if you get the history of the world, slavery has existed on every continent from the beginning. Hatred there on every continent. You have Africans who are enslaving African tribes, you have Indians who were enslaving other Indian tribes, you have whites enslaving other white tribes. But what we don't talk about. We don't ever look at and say, how can that same disease be affecting people from all different cultures? How is it that cultures that have never even known each other can all decide to treat everyone as badly as this? How can we all agree that that's what we should do? But we don't talk about that. No one wants to talk about how the one thing that can unite all races is mistreating other people. No one wants to ask why. Because if we ask why, someone might raise their hand and say, well, I think the Bible tells us why. I think the Bible shows us that one thing we are united in, no matter any of our skin color or our culture, is the one thing we're united in is the power of sin in our hearts. We have learned nothing from Babylon. And yet we've learned everything from it we live in a world that assumes the identity of race and then wants to know what you want to do about it and we as a church we've got to say look we are not going to play that game the only reason we look different is because god made an amazing thing called beauty in his people An amazing human body that can adapt to a diverse world that God created. All different shades and shapes. Eventually, we would have all been different skin colors anyway. But instead of having to be flung about the earth, it would have been from our obedience to the Lord. For my definition of race, I've got to go to the garden, not some evolutionary tree. The one who gets to decide what is or isn't going on in this world is the one who made this world. And race, as defined by the world, is not a biblical concept. It's culturally constructed, not biblically constructed. No one looks at the Bible and says, okay, yep, now this is, yeah, see, they're not, they're not we're all different. We're not, they're not the same people. Nope, nope, we're different people. You cannot read the story of the Bible and get that we are different people The truth is, not only is it not a biblical concept, it's not even a very scientifically sound concept. Did you know there is less than a 0.2 percent, not 2 percent, 0.2 percent difference in any of our genetic code? Less than 0.2 percent. In fact, if you were to break down our skin colors, we're not even different colors. Our skin is all the same color, just with different levels of melanin in it. And so it's, not like, it's not like when you got to someone's skin, someone's skin without the melanin would be a totally different color. Our skin is just dealing with different amounts of melanin, not painted with different colors, just different amounts and distributions of the same color. The Lord just didn't love me enough to give me very much. He withheld it. And then the sun's rays beat upon it. So from the very beginning of the argument, the Christian is already outside the problem. The Christian's already refusing to look at it the way the world wants to look at it. We're not coming into it saying, all right, we're different. Let's make us the same. We come into it saying, no, we're not different. God made us. Quit trying to make us act like we're different. We're not going to do that. We might have different ethnic groups. Our, our people might have come from, uh, from different cultures, and, but not different races. And if we say that, we're already wetting the wood of any sort of race battle in the world or in our own hearts. Where our identity is not based on our ancestors' practices or our places of origin, our identity is found in Christ. If we accept the vision of race and then automatically put ourselves in our distinct camps from one another, then we start out with a separation. We start out with anotherness. It's the world that's to blame for our racist situation. How can we expect the world to come up with the answer? I mean, think about what the world, how the world has bred this in our heart. The world, the world tells everyone from the time they're in school that we're all just cosmic accidents. We're all just random accidents of a random universe that happened to evolve us from some form of whatever into what we are. We're already worthless. We're already not much of anything. So the world teaches us that we're cosmic, cosmic accident, tells us that it's okay to kill our preborn children, and then tries to command us to treat but everybody else with dignity and respect. I mean of course the world of course the, the world has been training us to think no one else is of any importance but us from the time we've been in school. They have soured the well. So people around the world when they show up in a culture that's not their own, they do experience, they'll experience they'll experience hatred, separation, distinction. And the results of racism that extend all the way back to that cursed tower, all the way back. But the only distinction God makes between peoples in this world is those in the covenant with him and those outside the covenant. That's the only distinction we can accept. In the world and in our own hearts. And even that's a distinction that can be abused. It was abused by the Jews, right? Who saw themselves that they must be better people because they were in the covenant and the rest of the world wasn't. That there must be something better about being Jewish than about the rest of the world. And God had to multiple times go out of his way to tell them, no, it's not because of who you were that I had grace on you. It's solely by my grace. So for example, just one of them, Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God, right? You're you're those people. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the people on the face of the earth. And they're like, you know, stretching their their suspenders at that. But then he says, verse 7, it was not because you were more in number than the other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you are the fewest of all peoples. But it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now here Paul is just saying the same thing is true about our salvation, that he didn't call these Ephesians... Because they were holy, but instead because he was gracious. That there's no place for pride. He says, look, remember, you were at one time the uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision. At one time you were separated from God and his promises. You were without hope and without God. But God had grace on you. You need to remember that. So God does say that the separation between people is real, but it's between those who are in God and those who are outside. It's a separation, though, that had huge ramifications. Look back at verse 12 in Ephesians 2. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers of the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So because Gentiles were outside of the covenant, they were separated, but not just from the Jews, right? Although that was true, and the Jews lived here and kept the other people out, But they weren't just separated from the Jews. They were separated from Christ, from from hope, it says. Here again is the subtle hint that the Old Testament was also about the hope of a Savior. To be separated from the covenant was to be separated from the Christ, from the hope that was found there. Those who were not a part of Israel, it says, were what? They were separated from Christ. They were separated from God's people. That's alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. They were separated from the the promises of God, strangers to the covenants of promise, which meant one hard truth at the end of verse 12. You had no hope and no God. They were hopeless and they were godless. That was their situation. So, yes, God did make a distinction between those he'd been gracious to and those he hadn't, but it was a very real distinction. It had huge ramifications for them, and that was the situation of the world. That's the separation That fell over the entirety of humanity. We were separated from God and therefore separated from hope. That was our greatest problem. That's the greatest problem for the white man. That's the greatest problem for the black man, the red man, the yellow, green, and blue man. Anybody out there, that is our greatest problem is we were separated from God. But what happened in Christ? Look at what Christ does. So there is a separation sitting over the world. There is a hostility. There is a hatred for others. But what what happened? Christ brought unity. That's what Paul then begins to list out starting in verse verse 13. Christ then begins unity. And he mentions all these ways that Christ unites people who were once separated. Christ, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace. There's the first thing he brings peace who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. Christ brings peace where there was once hostility. The work of Christ is what breaks down walls of hostility between peoples. To try and break down those walls of hostility apart from Christ is actually to just build new walls of hostility. That's why I get so frustrated at pastors who act as if it's pandering or powerless to talk about the gospel in this issue. We don't need to talk about the gospel. We got to get to other things. And the gospel is the thing that breaks down the walls that divide people. The Bible tells us that the gospel breaks down walls of hostility and we're like, yeah, but maybe there's another way. If you don't think preaching the gospel be the answer and of course we are not saying you just preach the gospel and you sit and you just watch and see what happens but if you think you don't even begin there that those aren't the first words off your lip and the things you must say the loudest then the problem must be that your gospel isn't powerful enough to break down walls because how how did the gospel break down these barriers brought us peace how by making us one See, the gospel unites people. Who were the Gentiles? Everybody not Jew. So who do you have? You have in the gospel, you have the Ethiopian eunuch. You've got Greeks. You've got, I mean, go to, go to the books, book of Acts and see all the people standing there at Pentecost who are coming to the Lord. You've got people from all over the globe who are united as one in the work of Christ. So verse 15 We start to see how he makes us one by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might. So there you see the one new man in the place of the two, so making peace. That's how peace was made and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. So whether they were far off, that is the the Gentiles, or were near, that is the Jews, the same peace was preached to them both. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so that we are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Through Christ, we become a family. This is, again, why I've stressed over and over that we must see the church as a greater family than even our blood. Because if you don't, then you're setting the opportunity for things like racism to come up. Because you can say these people who bear my blood and bear my culture are closer to me than these people who don't. And that's not true if we take the Bible's definition and say, no, those people, if they do not know the Lord, if they're rejecting him, they are less your family than these people who serve the Lord and worship him. Less, but I've got blood. That does not matter. But we've got culture. It does not matter. In Christ, you become one family, one body. We no longer define ourselves by how the world defines us. We don't willingly accept the world's definition of different groups and and, and, and all our differences. We are a family now. And I'm not going to put any one of my family in a world-made box. I'm not going to say, this is my sister but she's my this kind of sister. This is my brother, but he's a this kind of brother. So we're not as close as this other brother. Who's who grew up in the same neighborhood as I did. So we're different. We can't do that. It is the tower that separates us. It's the cross that unites us. Listen to how Paul describes it in Ephesians four, four through six says there's one body. And one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. What do you see over and over and over? One, one, one out of what? All, all, all. One. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all of us. We're just one And that tower continues to untie believers in a world that loves separation and disunity. That's what we've got to remember. Remember I said don't trust the world? And we saw that the world, we, that God said in Proverbs, the world doesn't even know what justice is. And the world, so the, this world that loves disunity, that was the seedbed for the tower. It loves separation, it loves disunity, and you can see that. Is, does anyone see the world's efforts to answer this as actually creating anything closer to unity? Does anyone look at this and go, well, I'll tell you one thing that's happened is we are definitely more united. And I, I praise God for that because if we listen to the world and somehow became more united, do you know who we turn to next time? The world. But if we listen to the world and we go, we've been listening to them and none of this is working, Someone might raise their hand and go, but we haven't really listened to God. Uh, And then people go, well, maybe let's try that one. Why though is it that there is disunity still? It's not because the world is trying. It's because in the end, the world is intentionally pursuing disunity because of who their father is. The world's father is the father of lies. He is the father of disunity, of hatred and of sin. That's why the world will uh, unite us around certain issues and then get bored of that issue and turn to another one and then turn to another one and then turn to another one. So say so, so always pursuing things that disunite. But that cannot be what happens in the church. That's not how we are, to use Paul's words in Ephesians, that's not how we are supposed to walk. We cry out for biblical justice. We openly admit the guilt of our country, its past sins, our own sins. I mean, those sins were the birthplace of our current monstrosities. Slavery and racism were the seedbed for things like abortion. I mean, that didn't just sprout up out of nowhere. America's chief sin. I mean, I can, I can at the same time say I think America is the greatest place to live on the planet and also say America is not perfect. But how can we be held together? How can we be united? Such different stories, such different experiences. How are we made one? And he says, there's one thing that holds the different walls of this building together. And it's that we share the same cornerstone. Look at what he says in verse 20, that Christ is our cornerstone. Because you and I, we did live different lives. We are currently living different lives. You say it all the time about me. Like, I don't know. I mean... We make pastor jokes all the time. Like, I don't get the life of a pastor. I don't get it. Like, there, there's no doubt that our experiences are very different. So how can we unite in the same church, the same body? How come we don't have just... Diff- this? Is Okay, I'm going to get off on, on... This is why I don't like things like Cowboy Church. And I don't like things like biker church. I don't like any of them. Why? Because it's saying what unites us is this favorite thing you've got to do. And I don't like that any more than I would like if someone were to say this is white church or this is black church or this is whatever. If you see, just say this is Christ church, right? Uh, That's what unites us. And that's what what Paul says in Ephesians there. Christ is our cornerstone. Look at verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being Christ the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together where in that cornerstone grows into a holy temple in the lord in him you also are being built into a dwelling place for god by the spirit so we as christians are through the cornerstone of Christ being joined together, being grown into a holy temple. And what was outward doesn't matter anymore. It's What does he say? The inward presence of the Spirit that joins us together. Look, if you feel more connected with certain peoples because of your cultural similarities than you do with Christ in you, the problem is in your view of power, of the power and unity of the gospel. The world wants us to unite around all these other causes, all of these different groups. And in the end, we end up just creating new tribes, new ways to segment ourselves. But again, we don't play their tower games. For the Christian, it is the spirit that unites us. In a way, the world cannot understand that they will try and get us to play their sociological games. And they'll try to tell us, look, these people don't understand you and you don't understand them and all of this. And we cannot believe that. Paul says, here's the truth. If you're built in the cornerstone of Christ, you are one building. He is growing you together into a temple that will shock this world. Because it's nothing like the world has ever seen. And it's nothing like this world wants to see. Look, disunity has been a problem in this world since sin entered it. It spread through the story of Genesis. From, uh, if you look at just at Genesis, just the disunity that started at the very beginning, what happens? Separation of husbands and wives. What's the very next step? Separations of brothers, right? Even within, so, I mean, if you're looking at where we end up getting in Genesis 11, it's not a shock. Husbands and wives separated from the curse in the garden. And then you get, uh, you get Cain and Abel. And then you, from there, it's separation now of all peoples. And then those disunited people are flung to all the corners of the world. And every culture has fed then on it this love for ourselves and this hatred of anyone that is other. The only one that can break down the wall of hostility between peoples, the only one who can undo the tower is Jesus Christ. And he did. The job of the church is not, that's why I said the job of the church is not to create that racial reconciliation. That's already been done by Christ. Our job is to walk in that racial reconciliation that comes through Christ. In that reconciliation of all peoples to walk in a unity and love that is foreign to this world. Now what's funny is when we say you're supposed to walk in it, walking doesn't seem like a lot. Right? I make fun of Leslie and I. At least we need to exercise. And she said, we could start walking. And I was like, that's the physical equivalent of breathing. You know, walking. We could walk all day and it wouldn't gain us anything. And walking doesn't seem like a lot often, but it is this obedience on our part that is the first steps to justice and unity in this world. Walking in what Christ has done. You cannot skip that step and when churches have skipped that step that's when you see these problems continue to arise justice unity it must begin at christ's church because christ is the one who created the unity that breaks the hostility between people you must find in your church your true people your true identity this is why stories of black churches and white churches is a far more heinous reality than just even the issue of racism in the American culture. This is why we must kill any racism in our, in our own hearts. It was the fact that here churches had the thing that was supposed to unite all peoples and instead they would allowed it to create more division within the people that was supposed to break down the hostility. If the church had been reading Ephesians and been walking in what Jesus said they'd been walking in, this issue would have been dealt with by the church instead of fed by the church long ago. So we've got to make sure that we personally are walking in it. We can say things like, well, I'd I'd never kill a black man. But then think things like, but I sure don't want my daughter to marry one. We can say things like, all of my problems are because of white people. All of those things are what? Those things are buying into the thoughts of the world. Because Christ has worked in us a reconciliation with God and with one another that is so foreign to this world, we cannot allow ourselves to go back to any type of tribalism that ultimately gets its roots from the world's idea of where we came from and our value. And we must speak up in a world that breeds tribalism as if it is fact. When we see injustice toward another group based on how they look or or where they are treated, not as image bearers of God, of course, we must say something. But we also know when we say something that the world will try and co-opt any movement into a new form of disunity. And we must call out that injustice as well. So when we call out injustice and the world says, yeah, you're right, let's answer it this way. We don't just go, okay, at least they're answering it. We go, nope, (laughs) you don't get to answer it that way because that's not the way. The reason this person is valuable is not because they are black and it's not because they're white. It's not because they're brown or yellow. The reason this person is valuable is this person was created in the image of God that you deny. And that gives him value. And they'll say, okay, okay, let's give him value. And then let's do this. He No, 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 that's not what God says to do. <laughs> God says to do this. And we are the whole time, we must be pinballing the world back to the answers from the scripture because the world will, if we are not careful, the world will agree with us on point one and then take us captive in their current on point two. And that's what we see happening. We look at that. We look at the death of someone like George Floyd and we go, well, that's just horrible. That's ridiculous. And then the world takes that. and goes. So the world then sees that and knows we're all saying that's wrong because God says to kill an image bearer of his is a grievous sin that his blood cries out from the ground. And so we all go from that. And then what does the world do? The world tries to co-opt all of us into its own various answers and tries to disunite us around it's all its various ideas of what should happen or shouldn't happen. You know what's never quoted? Scripture. And we've got to see that. And when the world tries to create divergent streams, we say, no. The reason we all agreed on this is because the Bible says this is wrong. And we know the Bible says the steps to fix this is this. And we're constantly pushing the world back to the answers of the gospel. And let me tell you this. You do that and the world will not appreciate it. Don't know if you think the world's going to go, huh? Thank you for your keen insight uh, into what's going on, but it is what we must do in this way. I've often wondered what I'd do when I see that video of a a police officer on George Floyd's neck, and I often wonder, uh, would I be brave enough to tackle that man, get him off of him, and then be arrested or whatever, whatever happened? But we also must be brave enough to do is not just say I'd stand up to that injustice, but stand up to the unjust answers that follow it. We've got to stand up and say, no, that is not just as well, because you know what it is doing? It is taken captive in a very same way other brothers and sisters of ours and creating in them a hostility that is going to that creating in them a hostility that breeds more hatred. And it is our job to stand up on this second step as well. Not just to say, if I would have been there, I would have done this. Let me tell you, Christian, you are there. The world is proclaiming this is the answer. What are you proclaiming back? Or are you just watching? You're just watching. Watching this world step on the neck of image bearers of God and deceive them into thinking that this is who you are. You're this and you're that and they're this and they're that and creating more roots that sprang from that tower. We must stand up. We must speak what's right and say, I don't care the implications. It's what I've got to do. And that's the last thing that we see is that the church changes the world by walking in Christ's work. So we can say that walking does not seem like a big deal, but the Bible tells us it's when we walk in this truth, when you and I go, hey, the world gives us all this definition of who we are and I'm going to go, I don't care. Uh, I'm going to define who I am based on the Bible's definition. So all the other ways that I was raised to differentiate people, the Bible comes and says, "Eh," they don't know nothing. I can throw all that aside and its various roots in my heart and say, I'm going to start to think about people the way the Bible says to think about people. And the Bible says, when you do that, The world will notice. So look, take for example, John chapter 13. it's, It's walking in Christ that will show the world the hope that they cannot find anywhere else. So John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Our love for one another is what shows the world that we are Christ. When the world comes in here, and sees us loving each other, not because we're the same, but in despite of our differences, that says something to the world. Because the world, they don't love anybody. They, don't, they only love other people that feed their love for themselves. The only idol they worship is covetousness, right? They love the idols that look just like them. Or how about John 17? John 17:22 through 23 The glory that you've given me I've given to them that they may be one here again is that they're pulling back now to Ephesians and the, remember what we saw there in Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 4 that they may be one even as we are one I and them and you and me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know what that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me It is our unity Our oneness, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one spirit, one God and father of all who is in all. That oneness, that unity that teaches the world, there must really be something to this Jesus guy. This is why I say we've got to walk in the reconciliation that comes in Christ. Because it's when we do that, that Jesus says the world will know what that the father sent him and that the father loved him and that the father loves us. Our unity, our oneness, all the things that Paul talked about in Ephesians, us not playing the world's games is what will show the world that there must be something about this Jesus guy. So that's why we've got, that's how important it is to walk in it. That's why he says, God's given you these good works which he prepared beforehand, you that you should walk in them. And then the very first thing he talks about is the hostility that used to be felt between peoples. Which if you remember, the early church struggled with, right? Peter and Paul had to get into a fight about it. The book of Galatians had to be written about it. Like all of these things about what to do Then the separation among peoples. So if you think that walking in it isn't hard, It is if you think it's not a big deal and you don't understand how much the world hates the gospel and you don't understand how powerful that gospel is to break down walls that this world hadn't been able to break down in the 6,000 years that it's existed. This is the answer we must pursue. And just like with proclaiming the gospel, we either skip these actions or we just often assume that we're going to do those things. The church, we must make sure that we are turning to the Bible's answers and living and walking in those things and not just assuming That of course we're walking in unity. Of course we're walking in oneness. You need to search your own heart and see how you have begun to define other people based on the world, the way the world has told you to define other people rather than the way that the Bible has spoken of other people. The church cannot be amening the world's answers to the problem that the world has created by its pride and rejection of God. And yet at the same time, the church not run wholeheartedly toward God's answers. Just as the world cannot cry out for justice while denying the God of justice in our church, we cannot say, oh, I wish there was unity in this world and then be soft in our own union to the church body, which God says he uses to bring unity in this world. You can't say, I wish the world was united and God said, I'm going to make an amazing thing that's united. I'm going to make my churches be a one-people church and it's going to shock the world. And then us not invest ourselves fully in that church body that is going to be used to bring the unity. We look on TV and say, we wish we saw. A halfway unity here will provide a halfway answer to the world. You want unity in this world, invest yourself fully in the body that speaks a unity that this world cannot believe that this world will look at and say, what is with this Jesus? But if you're halfway here, if you're only partially united here, do not be amazed that the world is fully disunited out there. The world sees there's a problem. I I think in the human heart, we hear an echo of Eden, but we bear the scars of the tower. The church has the answer. We don't have to bring some new answer. Christ has broken down the wall of hostility, the hatred that seeps through all peoples and cultures across the globe. Christ has brought reconciliation to that, a sin that has managed to be in all cultures everywhere. He's brought reconciliation between us and God, between us and one another. Our job in that is to walk in it to not give hatred a foothold in our heart, to not buy into the world's lies that we are different, that our skin colors and our past cultures define us, that there is only one thing that has ever separated people, either you're a child of God or you're not. Either they're his, and if they're his, then they're your people in a deeper and more true way than someone who simply shares the same level of melanin. Don't listen to the world and its constant cries for disunity. Let the church show them what real unity looks like. Let's walk in Christ in the good works that he has given us. Let's escape the curses of the tower by being a people of the tree. Let's pray.